Hello, everybody, and welcome to How Do You Hustle with Cami Dimitrova, a podcast where I interview comedians about their day jobs and sort of just like life stuff at this point, given the quarantine. Happy quarantine. Happy day 5,800 of the quarantine. That's true. That's a fact. Um, we have a very exciting guest on this week. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's the one and only Mike Cavalon. He's a very great, he is a uh, Los Angeles-based Filipino-American actor. He's been in um, shows that I think no one has heard of, like Orange is the New Black and Crashing. It's just like not, not really super popular. I'm sure you've never heard of it. He's also been a writer for Comedy Central and Story Pirates, the podcast. Um, he was trained at UCB. He's done Boogie Manja. He casually co-wrote and co-starred in Night Crew, which landed him a development deal with Comedy Central. I mean, it just keeps getting even cooler. This last bit is like amazing. He casually booked a pilot written by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, and he is literally a series regular. Holy shit. And he's acting with people like Ted Danson, Holly Hunter, Bobby Moynihan. He's literally like one of the main people in it. It's so amazing. So I'm so excited to introduce you all to Mike Kaplan. Wow, wow, wow. It's so good <laughs> to hear someone recap all of your achievements to you. <laughs> I know you've been on this whole time. What a fun, surreal experience. I feel like I'm about to win an award. You are the award of being on this amazing podcast. But, you know, it's a prize all on its own, and I'm honored to receive it. <laughs> that is good to hear. That is good to hear. Wow, Mike, thank you so much for doing this. Um, well, thanks for I'm, having me. Yeah, of course. I've been wanting to chat with you for so long because I feel like this is just like, yeah, I've just been wanting to like talk to you about this stuff because I feel like you ha will have some great insights. Um, so if you want, we can just like kind of dive right in in terms of like day job stuff. Um, I don't know too much about how you were managing day job and um, and acting and auditioning while you were in New York before you moved out to LA. What were some of like the gigs you had when you were when you were over here? Oh my God! Okay, here we go. <laughs> Uh, so just for background, I went to school in Chicago and right after I graduated, I moved to New York immediately uh, and I had no plan and no job, um, but I graduated with a degree in advertising public relations. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I still did not want to admit to myself like that I wanted to be a comedian. Sure. Uh, and so I went to New York because I was like, oh, that's a good mix of like their advertising jobs there. And also there's like comedy theaters like UCB. So uh, I went to New York and then my first job was um, a marketing internship at uh, a digital ad placement company um, called Medialets. I don't know if they're still around, um, but that was, they, they hired me like, I did the Skype interview in Detroit on the drive from Chicago to New York. <laughs> sure, sure. That was terrifying, but uh, yeah, so that was, that was my first job. And I stuck with um, sort of like, advertising slash graphic design jobs for a long time. Um, okay. It was sort of a mix of doing, uh, yeah, a bunch of graphic design places. I worked at um, fab.com, which was, uh, <laughs> it's pivoted so many times now. I think it's like a yoga website, but it used <laughs> to be, like when I worked there, it was like this uh, flash sale e-commerce website. And if you, you know, do your Wikipedia research, it was like, sort of like the 2012 to 2014 like poster child for like uh, startups. It like grew really big, really fast. Okay. Uh, and I worked there at like at the height of that and I was part of like the mass like 100 person layoff. Wow, uh, okay. But so like a lot of my early jobs were just like doing graphic design for places like that and working at ad agencies. I worked at Big Spaceship, which was an ad agency. Sure, Yay. I remember Big Spaceship. I was, I think I subscribed to their mailing list. That sounds right. They they do yeah. a lot of cool stuff. I mean, a lot of ad agencies are already sort of basically startups insofar as their attitude about like just being a cool company. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That sounds right. And there was also there were a few other comedians who worked at Big Spaceship too. I oh cool. Uh, I remember for a while Sarah Papalardo freelanced there, and she mm -hmm. uh, co-founded Reductress. Uh, Maria oh. Heinig is a stand-up comedian in New York. Very funny. She was she worked there for a little bit. Um, and yep. weirdly enough, I found this out recently, one of the writers on my current show, uh, on Tina Fey and Robert Carlock's show, 
worked at Big Spaceship after me, Grant Hamilton. What? That's yeah. crazy. Small world. Small world. Small world, Big Spaceship. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay. And when you were <laughs> there's quarantine, um, when you were working at these jobs, when you first moved here, were you like, in the back of your mind, like, this is a temporary gig, like, I'm doing graphic design, but you're not trying to, like, are you, were you, like, working hard at that to, like, build a portfolio? Were you sort of just, like, doing it to have something while you were, get, you know, dipping your toes into comedy and, like, ECB stuff? Um, I think at first, maybe I was very, I mean, like I said, like, I, I didn't want to admit to myself, like, that this is what I wanted to do. Sure. Um, like, it's, it's this weird thing where I feel like for a lot of people, like, growing up, like, your parents are usually the ones who are like, okay, well, you need a real job, and you can't do that. And like, my mom has always been super supportive and just, like, do whatever you want to do as long as you're paying your own bills, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like the only person who ever, like, stopped me was me. You know, like, I was the one who was like, well, it's not, pre- like, statistically, becoming a, a successful actor is, like, literally impossible. Like, it's just not going to happen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so that was sort of like, that was sort of why I majored in advertising. Because I remember one of my professors put it as like, advertising is the toy department of the business world. Like, if you can't have fun in advertising, then you don't belong in business. And I was like, okay, well, this seems like a good compromise. It allows you to like, sort of be creative, but still yes. like a business context. And so for, I feel like my first few years in New York, I was like, uh, well, this is what I do. I work in advertising and I kind of hated it, but I was like, but this is what being an adult is like. And then like I was taking classes at UCB and I was like, this is so much more fun. And, um, I think the turning point for me was in, uh, uh 2014, I guess, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I t- um, UCB, uh, every so often offered a class with, uh, Phil Cassis and Stacey Gallo who did a mm-hmm. commercial audition class. And I did that class. And I remember Dave Ebert, they brought him in because he was one of their clients and he came in and he talked to us and he kind of just like rewired my brain about like, like one of the things that is like you, everyone in this room, you all hate your job. Like if you didn't hate your job, you wouldn't also still want to be an actor. So clearly you being here means you hate your job a little bit. Right. So he's like, don't be afraid to quit your job because there's always going to be like you're you can find another way to like support yourself. But if you like, don't go to an audition because your boss told you not to, then like you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And I was like, Oh my God, he's totally right. And then that was sort of like my turning point from like, Oh, I can not care about my day job anymore. And then I started doing really terribly at all my day jobs. And that started a really long string of like inspired at every job I ever had. Um, but really? I, it, it was worth it to me. Like that was like where my priorities were. It was just like, yeah, the, the day job stuff doesn't matter anymore. Now I can just like fully devote myself to comedy. Wow. So how did you, I remember um, you were doing a workshop recently that I was listening to. Um, So many wise words were said, Um, but you were talking about like this switch that happened for you there as well. Um, And this idea of like making a deal with yourself where like, if you don't give this a shot, like what, what the hell are you doing? And also like, if your life ends up being like, shittier day jobs but like taking risks and being able to audition and having like a flexible schedule it's worth it right or like something like that yeah definitely it's it's definitely like an extremist point of view and it's it's not for everyone but my my feeling after that class was sort of just like um you know like it if I was ever in a position like the deal I made with myself was like if I ever get a call from my agents like hey we need you to come in for audition today at three o'clock I would like go to my boss whoever it was at the time. And I'd say, Hey, can I go to this audition at three? And if they said no, I just like mentally had to be prepared to be like, okay, well then you can fire me. Cause I'm not going to not go to this audition. Like to me, yes. even the smallest audition wasn't worth missing. You know what I mean? Cause like the smallest audition is worth more to me than like the security of whatever the stupid day job is because there are millions of day jobs. And like, uh, this is a privileged sentence, but it's like, I'm like a young educated person in America. You know what I mean? So it's like, right. I'm, I'm not going to starve. If like, literally if if you like what (laughs) i feel like i'm mumbling a lot sorry no Um, it's great it's it's sort of like what like you're if you're afraid of getting fired you kind of like kick into like maslow's hierarchy of needs and your brain starts going like okay well if i don't have income then i can't pay for food and i can't pay for housing and it's like really at the end of the day uh, again this is this is like part of our privilege as like american citizens and being young and educated but it's like 
no one's going to let you starve. Like if you're really hungry, one of your friends will buy you a meal. Like you don't live in like a vacuum in a bubble. So it's like, if you really right. get desperate for a job, you can walk into any Starbucks and ask for a job and they'll give you a job. Uh, right. Just by way of like, you're not, you know, like a high schooler. So it's like, um, that was sort of my mind, my mindset was just like, I'll, I'll go on whatever audition and I'll say yes to everything because there will always be another day job. And especially because I had um, like a specialized skill set. Like I majored in advertising and I could do graphic design. I went to um, a high school where we had majors and my major in high school was uh, television production. So I oh, knew cool. how to edit from an early age too. So it's like, okay, I can always fall back on editing. It's like, I have these skills I can fall back on and that'll always be there. That will never go away. You can't take that knowledge away from me. So I'd rather just like say fuck you to every day job and go on every audition. Yes! <laughs> I love that. I love that mindset so much because I think it, it, people get tripped up and like not knowing, you know, how do I balance a career and how do I balance auditioning? And I love this idea of being like, fuck your traditional career path. Like literally fuck it and yeah. only prioritize your, your art and your creative shit because it's like, now's the time, you know, now's the time to take those risks. And I just, I love that mentality so much. How did you just referencing like your earlier mindset? I think it's really interesting that you were able to pivot. So like sharply to be like this kind of like, <laughs> like whatever, fuck it. Cause you said you were saying before that, like when you were in college, you didn't even want to like major in, in theater or acting. Cause you were like, Oh, fuck it. Like this isn't yeah. a real, um, a real career. So like how, I guess like that, See, seeing Dave Ebert say something like that helped, but was there any other like, I don't know, build up internally that sort of helped you helped you shift? Um, I think uh, a lot of it is how I was brought up. I'm I'm very fortunate in that like I didn't really have a traditional tiger mom. Like my mom did immigrate here from the Philippines, and I was like the first one born here. Like my brother and sister were both born in the Philippines. Like I was like very first generation. Um, okay, are you the I, youngest? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the youngest. Awesome. Um, and I think that maybe it's like, uh, I, I always grew up. I think there's two things I can think of that my mom always told me growing up, which is one was like, do whatever makes you happy. Um, and I, I think that that's helped along by like my sister had kids really young out of high school and my brother, like, um, emancipated himself when he was younger. So, uh, I think, you know, like the bar it's, it's not like my bar was like, Oh, well, everyone else in the family has gone to college. My mom was like, just just get to college, and once you get to college, you can study whatever you want. Is She was never like, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything. She's like, I just want you to get an education. And I was like, cool, that's good. Um, and then I think it also, the other thing that she always said was sort of like, uh, money is just money. And um, I feel like you, like, that can be interpreted as a very, like, privileged response, but it, it didn't come from a place of, like, we were rich. Like, we were very, very poor growing up. And I think my mom's attitude was just sort of like, like I remember freaking out in college because I went to like a private college. I went to Loyola university in Chicago mm -hmm. and um, you know, this, so there's no such thing as like in-state tuition. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay off all these loans. And she's like, it's worth it for the education. Like student, you can have student loan debt for the rest of your life. It's okay. Cause like, it's, it's just money. Like if you, if you don't pay it, they're going to charge you more money for being late or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just, it just money. Like she's very much one of those people who's just like, if there, if you have people around you who love you and there's food on the table, then like you're okay. That's all you need. You know what I mean? Like, yes. She, she never really placed like importance on money as like a factor of happiness. It was always just like, do what you love, and like the the rest will figure itself out. So I've always kind of like, I mean, it's it, like no financial advisor would give you the same advice, but it's like this like fuck money. Like it it doesn't matter. The universe <laughs> will take care of you. You're not going to starve to death. Fuck money. <laughs> <laughs> honestly we need your mom on this podcast staff <laughs> she, she would like inspire the shit out of people i love it i love that you're like the vessel for it but like we need to get mom on here too i i feel like it, sh it would be a very short podcast episode with my mom but she it would just be like 10 minutes of her just saying the same sentence over and over just be like fuck money and be like yes, <laughs> got it she's like get yeah, bitches fuck money bye i'm like who where can i listen to your rap album <laughs> 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 oh my god I love that I really really love that um that makes sense then for you to be able to sort of like embrace a more like yeah a more like not radical perspective but just this idea of like like I mean it's it sort of a radical perspective I don't I don't want to talk like you know like this is the way to do it like, like I recognize that like 
a lot of my views on this stuff are really radical. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's what worked for me. And I think that like, at the end of the day, that's sort of the caveat to all sort of financial and or life advice. It's just like, if it doesn't work for you, then don't follow that advice. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Were you um, out of interest? So I, I like, I think similar to your story, I do have a lot of friends who like had this like career with a capital C and then pivoted when they started pursuing acting like more um, seriously. Um, mm -hmm. Was there, did you have to, when taking new roles for day jobs, did you have to take like jobs that you were kind of like overqualified for or like take like a pay cut or anything like that? Oh, You're, like, tremendously. Uh, right. I worked, there's a movie theater in New York, an independent theater called the Paris Theater. Well-renowned, everyone loves it. I worked there for three days because I was desperate <laughs> for money. I was like, I'll work anywhere. And I worked at Paris Theater and I was like, rinsing off a popcorn machine in like a closet in, in like yeah and i was like i have a college degree like i don't need to be doing this and, yeah. I, and I was like that was such a stupid idea but i like at that point like i was desperate for like any sort of paycheck and then like at three days later my pride kicked in i was like fuck this uh, <laughs> but i definitely went through like so many jobs where i'm like i i know this isn't for me and i i, I got to a point where i would bring that up in the job interview where I would just straight up like look the interviewer in the eye and be like, just so you know, this is not my passion. Like I don't want like, <laughs> a career in customer service. Like you can ask me where I want to be in five years and I'll tell you it's like on TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Right. And it's, that didn't always yield the best results, but I feel like for the hiring managers who kind of got it, they're like, okay, that's cool. I don't need you to be devoted to this job. I just need you to do a good job while you're here. And like, if I could prove that I could do that good job, then they were like totally cool with letting me go. And so I was really blessed to like find a lot of bosses and managers who were very supportive of like, yeah, you can go to an audition, just like make up the hours. You know what I mean? Very, very cool. And so was, were, were those jobs also in design or was it, you were saying customer service was something you did too, like any, that sort of stuff? Yeah, a lot of them ended up being at startups. I feel like the, mm -hmm. the sort of like dirty secret, especially in New York, is that like uh, if you're uh, a struggling artist, I really recommend working at a startup. I feel like for maybe a lot of generations, it was like being a waiter at a restaurant, which is like also cool and that's fine. But uh, I feel like that stereotype should be replaced by working at a startup because startups um, already sort of have that attitude. Of, like I said earlier about like being like a cool place to work and they want to support, you know, their their employees' cool, quirky habits. Like, if you rock climb, <laughs> you rock climb. And now we can say we have a rock climber working at our startup. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you're an actor, they just view it as, like, that cool thing that Mike does on the weekends. And um, so they're usually very cool about letting you go out for auditions and stuff because they, they sort of encourage you to have a good, healthy, like, work-life balance. You know, a lot of startups offer things like unlimited PTO and things like that. And so yeah. it's the thing where it's like, as long as you're doing a good job and – and, you know, if you are an actor, like, do customer service because that job is literally just, like, being empathetic and speaking clearly. Yes. Like, it's already in your skill set. Uh, so yes. if you're, like, a service representative for a startup, it's, like, the perfect day job, I think, for an actor. Um, That's but so I worked. Yeah, so I worked at a lot of different startups doing, um, you know, customer service and cold calls and things like that, just kind of, like, people skill kind of stuff because uh, I was kind of over doing graphic design stuff. A lot of jobs that require hard skills like graphic design ended up being super intensive. Like uh, I think I was already turned off to the advertising industry before I even like fully settled into comedy because the advertising sure. is full of a lot of like self-important people who like eat, breathe and sleep design. And they like <laughs> are a design, a capital D design. It's like, dude, relax. It's just a job. You know what I mean? <laughs> And then, like, they come to a sh comedy show and we're all, like, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe in comedy. And they're, like, dude, relax. It's just yeah, comedy. Yeah. We're, like, what? Yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. Glass House is here, but still. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that's really cool to know. I think that's, like, um, that's just a, yeah, like, a really cool story and journey to hear. Because I think it is hard to, if you do have a background with a hard skill or, you, like, you studied, a, you studied a specific thing, it feels, like, hard to pull away from that and have just, like, a generic sort of customer service job where you're, like, all right, here we go. But, like, if it's serving your greater dream or whatever you're chasing, like, that's the move, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, th I think that's kind of the key is like keeping in mind that like the, your, your greater 
dream is to, you know, be on screen. Like you, you, you hate this job. If you didn't hate the job, you wouldn't also want to quit it. So like, for sure. Uh, the prize, you know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Um, that's dope. In terms of your, um, upbringing, were you always involved in some way in the arts or like kind of like doing theater in high school or what was sort of your, your background or entry point into this stuff? Um, so I, I liked my like line at parties is like, I grew up in the only city in America where magician is a viable career option. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in Las Vegas. And so mm-hmm. like, it is, I feel like a lot of people's story is like, I didn't know you could do show business for a living. And it's like, no, I, I definitely knew like, Wherever you grew up, there were billboards for like doctors and lawyers and I had billboards for like ventriloquists, you know what I mean? So it was like, (laughs) I always knew you could entertain people for a living. Um, I think it was just like the older I got, the more I was like, but that's not real. You know what I mean? Like that's for other people. Um, Right. I did. uh, So I think the earliest stuff was I did uh, improv in high school. So my high school didn't have a theater program. We did not have a physical theater uh, theater two was like four kids who sat in the back of the class of theater one and just got different worksheets. So like <laughs> there was no theater program. Um, I, I did go to a magnet school, like I said, and, and I, I, I learned how to edit. Um, cool. but I like literally my class was one of the last classes that had television production. Like my school doesn't even have that major anymore. Um, okay. And it was a lot of like the teacher situation was really shaky. Uh, so it was a lot of self-teaching. It was not as good of an education as I could have hoped for, but I, I had been editing. Um, and then, um, yeah, I was doing improv in high school with adults. Like, I feel like now when it, when a high schooler says I'm doing improv, it means like my high school has an improv team, but like we didn't have that. Right. Uh, so I was performing with a troupe that I think is still around called the Las Vegas improvisation players. Um, cool. They do, they do short form improv. And at the time, there was also a second city, Las Vegas, which isn't around anymore. Um, oh, wow. But you had to be 18 to, to get into second city. So I couldn't do that. But some of the adults that I was playing with in the Las Vegas improvisation players were also doing second city. So I was like, sort of batting at that level. Uh, I mean, it was short form, but still, you know, I, I had the basics of yes and and all that is mm-hmm. since I was a teenager. Um, and then when I went to college, uh, I, because I'd been editing for so long, I was already like, well, I don't want to be a film major, but I do know how to do all this stuff. So I worked in the digital media lab and like taught the film majors how to edit. And then, so I just like, even though I wasn't a film major or a theater major, I hung out with all those people. And so whenever they needed someone to be in their films, I would like just hop in and do it. And so by the time I graduated college, I sort of had like a reel basically because I had all these student films under my belt. Right. But what was like the, what was the drive to get involved in this stuff? Like, why weren't you like, you know, doing sports or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like, where were you just curious or was there something in you that you were like, oh, I, you know, like you're, you just were passionate about it? Um, I don't know if you can tell from looking at me, I'm not what you'd call a sports guy. <laughs> Shaped like a, like a bean pole. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's it good is- for golfing. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I did golf as a kid. That's why that made me laugh. Um, no way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's one of those things about Las Vegas where, like, Las Vegas has some of the most golf courses per capita in the world. So what? Uh, what the people do. Nailed it. Uh, one of the other majors at my school was horticulture, but specifically geared toward, like, Bermuda grass maintenance. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just secretly... <laughs> Secretly training people to work in casinos. Yeah, that's literally what it was. <laughs> so um, funny. Like, we uh, also took a, a culinary arts major, and a lot of those kids, like, I remember one, like, whatever year the Bellagio opened, they just took the whole senior class, and like, okay, all you guys work in this restaurant, because you already know how to work together. Because you already, there's, yeah, there's, like, fountain upkeep, and, like, it's like, yeah. what is this? You got it. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like I grew up watching a lot of like Comedy Central, um, a lot of like newer comedy. I, I think another part of my story that's different from other people's story is that like because I grew up with like in it, like in an immigrant household, mm-hmm. um, I didn't have a lot of reference for like older stuff. Like I feel like uh, this is for anyone. Like I feel like if you grew up here and your parents grew up here, 
you, there were times in your childhood where your parents would sit you down and be like, okay, we're gonna watch Top Gun because it's my favorite movie. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes. I never had that because my parents also didn't grow up here. So anything that they consumed, I also we were consuming everything at the same time. Like, they liked Michael Jackson because everyone liked Michael Jackson at the time. And so it was like, so I also liked Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? It was just like, right. whatever was popular then was like how, that was what I sort of consumed. And so yes. I didn't have a background of like, like no one ever showed me, you know, like Naked Gun or anything like that. Like my parents were never like, here's my favorite comedy. So I just sat in front of the TV watching, you know, like whatever Comedy Central was playing. And I'd be like, that's really cool. I, you know, like it would be cool if I can make people laugh for a living. And then once I started doing improv in high school, then it was like, oh, cool. You can get paid. Like we got paid to make people laugh. And that was really cool. And so it was like, this, I think that was sort of where the bug was planted. I'm like, I know I can make money being funny. Uh, it's just that like the road to get there is going to be really long and really hard. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until like after I graduated college, I was like, oh, okay, that's the road I'm going to go down. No matter what, like no matter how long and how hard this road is, I'm going to go down this road. Whereas like everything up until that point, I was like, boy, I don't know. I could just, I could do the easy thing and I could sit here and just be a graphic designer for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until like after graduation that kind of changed for me. That's amazing. Were you, um, I have to ask, cause I'm also the youngest. Were you like a ham? Um, I think I was less of like a ham and, cause I was like a well-behaved kid. So it was never like class clown, but I definitely was sarcastic. <laughs> like sure, sure. I think my mom didn't know how to handle that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like she called me a smart ass all the time. And I think I, <laughs> It was less of like class clown and more just like that little shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I think I pissed teachers off uh, more in like snide comments than I ever did with like, oh, he, he distracted all the other kids. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Were you, um, were you a, uh, like a good student or were you like, fuck school? I don't like it. It's not for me. Or what was your vibe? Um, I was a great student. Uh, I mean that uh, I, I credit my mom with not being a tiger mom, but she was still very much like nothing less than straight A's. Sure, um, sure, sure. And I also, I, <laughs> this is such a weird thing to say. I feel like when I got to college, I realized I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, like growing up school was really easy. Like I could get straight A's and then I got to college and I think I just realized that like, oh, I think I'm normal, like I have average intelligence, but like the school district in Clark County is so bad that like everything was easy up until now. And now that like I'm caught up with everyone else in society, I'm like normal. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't particularly smart. It was just like, oh, I I was just doing, e- I was playing life on easy mode and everyone else is playing on normal mode. You know what I mean? Yes, I hear what you're saying. And then when you went to college, you were like, oh, okay, this is what's up. I get right. you. I get you. Okay, cool. So then college happened. You did it. You majored in um, graphic design. Uh, Advertising public relations. And then I did um, no improv in college. (laughs) I think that's also important to mention. (laughs) And was that intentional or? Uh, No, not at all. My freshman year, I tried out for the one improv group on campus and I did not get in. And like, the like major chip on my shoulder. I was like, fuck you guys. And I never auditioned again. No. Uh, but, I, but like, I found my, my community in like, um, working in the digital media lab and like hanging out with the film kids and hanging out with the theater kids. And like a lot of those people are kind of still my friends today. So. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So it scarred a little bit, like little. Yeah. That they turned me off to improv a little bit. And then, mm-hmm. and then I got to New York and I was like, well, got to start at square one. So I signed up for UCB improv 101. And then I was Woo-hoo! like, I already know how to do this. And then I shot straight through all of UCB and like, like back to back classes. That's what's up. Um, when did you take your first UCB class? Do you remember? Uh, I do. It was January 2nd, like right after New Year, uh, maybe even January 3rd, but it was right after New Year uh, 2013. So like I graduated school in, uh, I graduated college in May of 2012, moved to mm-hmm. New York took basically like six months to settle down and then signed up for a class that started directly after New Year's. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. So you hit the ground running truly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I yeah. always 
yeah, that was always part of the plan. It was like, go to New York, get an advertising job, do UCB on nights and weekends. And then there was that really sad, like, onion headline that still gets passed around where it's like, find what you love and do it on nights and weekends and die or something like that. And I, like, that kind of just, like, chipped away at me for a while before I was like, why, why am I saving this for nights and weekends? Yeah, screw this. And now you're literally famous, which yeah. is, so that worked out. Um, do you remember who your first improv teacher was? Uh, Corey Brown. Corey Brown, who Corey is Brown. no longer in New York, but still very funny and a great guy. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, and, you know, UCB no longer exists. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And then you shot through the program 101 until 401 and then all the ashes and all the things. Uh, I got 101 and then I shot straight through to advanced and then, uh, I never got into an ASP. This is real inside baseball now. People who are not familiar with UCB have tuned out. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, and, and you know what? And you know what? That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. This is for the, it's fine with me. The 4% of the audience left. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I took a few ASHs. I never got into an ASP. Uh, and then I wrote a blog post that has been referenced by a few people since, uh, in, in the culling of memories that's happened since UCB closed last week. Boy, this yeah. is really, really timeline contextual. If you're listening to this like three years from now, I'm so sorry if you're lost, but UCB just closed and a lot of people <laughs> are posting memories. Uh, but so like I, I shot straight through to advanced and then I never got into an ASP. So I wrote a blog post about how, um, all the ASPs look overwhelmingly white, which was correct. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and it pissed a lot of people off. And so I feel like that sort of uh, unofficially blacklisted me from a lot of teachers. So I stopped oh. even applying for ASPs. Um, uh, I mean, whatever. I, I, I still yeah. auditioning for house teams. By the way, never got on a house team. That's that I, is part of that club. Crazy. That is crazy. But it's also, I think, important to hear that because you are. I think the most successful person I know, literally. <laughs> and so it's like, I think that's important just to understand that it is not the end all be all. It's like, cool if you have it, cool if you don't, because you could, if you don't, you could be on a show with Tina Fey. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I think it's important for you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I was, I auditioned for every variety of house team, uh, for Harold Lloyd, Maude, uh, Torco, uh, characters, like, I auditioned for everything, and sometimes I got callbacks, sometimes I didn't, but every year, basically, between 2013 and, well, maybe 2016 or 17, I auditioned every year for at least one of those things, and, uh, never got on. Wow. And were you, so you said you auditioned for improv, sketch, and... Yeah. All of it. And the tour. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you weren't necessarily like tunnel vision, like I have to do improv. Did you ever get that bug? Like the, you know, like the culty improv bug where you're like, only improv, improv forever. No, and I, I think I'm I'm grateful that I never did. It always, it, it always kind of weirded me out. Not even like a culty sense, but like that, that any performer like take a step back and consider yourself not as like an improviser or a comedian, but just as like a performer to think that any one particular skill would be like what you want to focus on. Like imagine if you were a carpenter and you're like, my thing is the hammer. If there's a, <laughs> a fucking hammer and then someone hands you a saw and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, it's like, it's crazy me to like double down on just that one skill. Cause like improv is tremendously helpful. And I think that a lot of my career is like, owed to like my you know pr my skills in improv but like at the end of the day it's still just like one tool in your tool belt and so like the people who like concentrate really hard on getting on Harold Knight and like really dissecting and understanding improv it's like I if that makes you happy that's cool and I'm not shitting on you but like for me there was like definitely a ceiling to improv where I was like I've gotten everything I can get out of this and if I go any further, then I'm just going to be a teacher and I don't want that. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Well, and there's also a thing to be said about like what your goals are, right? Like if your goal is to work in comedy in general and like, you know, just like have a career in whatever capacity that is for you. Like, if, I feel like if you have that mindset, it's easier to let go of like a Lloyd Knight callback versus like if you are like, I just want to be at UCB improv that's my only thing like I feel like the pressure is so much more because it's like you're that's your only like like 
like that's your only goal like some people are like that's that's literally what I want to do and then still have my day job and like work wherever you know do my thing from nine to five and then like have my shows and that's cool too but it's just a different like it's just a different path and I just feel like that can create a lot of pressure for that like one chance for you a year to like get on a team you know what I mean like it's just a lot I feel like yeah definitely I feel like a lot of the people who uh have done the best for themselves sort of have that like take a step back like healthy view of UCB where like even if you were on Herald Knight or you were a teacher and like you love improv and that's your thing you still can kind of like remove yourself from it remove your self-worth from like your skill as an improviser and just be like okay well that that's a thing I can do but that's not all of me you know what I mean yeah exactly exactly yeah I think it's just helpful if that is for you if you just want to work in comedy in general I feel like it's it's helpful to take a step back and try to find other avenues as soon as you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think also, uh, like you said, like finding out what is for you, I think is another step that a lot of people skip where it's like people, people get mad when they don't get something like, Oh, I didn't get on Herald night. But it's like, but if you don't know what you do want, like you, I, a part of me feels like you don't have a right to be mad. Like you have to set a goal before you can get mad about not getting something. So like, I feel like a lot of people are just like, well, I just, I, I just want to work in comedy. It's like, well, you, I think you really have to set a goal for yourself about like, well, do you want to be a writer or do you want to mm-hmm. be, uh, you know, like just like a commercial actor? Do you want to like write the next, do you want to be Jordan Peele? You know what I mean? Like you, you mm-hmm. have to really sort of like intentionalize your goals. Well, how did you do that for yourself? Like, were you, were you someone that set goals for yourself and were you, did you know that you're like, I want to be an actor on TV in a comedy? Like, was it that specific or? Um, I think I sort of like, like it was a slow formation of goals. It was a slow crystallization. Um, I'm not a big, like I don't like vision board or anything like that. I, I, I'm not a big goal setter, but I am a sort of like, um, I don't know how to put it. I, it's, it's sort of, I mean, this, this kind of goes back to, you know, like advertising and business skills, but just like, you can kind of set quarterly goals for yourself where like, I, I was more focused on being better every day than I was on like getting to a, a specific a large end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that career wise for a long time, I was like, I mean, once I made the switch in my head of like, fuck day jobs, I, this is what I want to do for a living. I was split between writing and acting. And I was like, I'd be happy doing either. I just want to make a living doing comedy. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to produce. I knew I didn't want to do stand-up. Um, and so I, I had this sort of like loose, nebulous idea of what I wanted to do. And then the more I wrote, like I took Sketch 101 and 201, the more I wrote, the more I was like, this isn't as much fun as acting. Um, and then once I started booking things as an actor, I was like, okay, well, the, now objectively speaking, I'm a better actor than I am writer because I'm getting paid more as an actor than I am as a writer. And so mm-hmm. that was sort of my pivot into just like, okay, it feels like the universe and myself are converging to nudge myself in the direction of like being an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you start to, once I had that in my head, then I could like embrace it more and put more of my energy toward it. Um, and then, yeah. And, and now, now I write because I can, because a lot of, uh, a lot of actors can't write. Um, but now that I can write, it's like, well, now that we're in quarantine, you know, anytime I'm not working on something actively as an actor, now I can fall back on writing. But I would never consider myself a writer first. You know what I mean? Sure, 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 sure. Um, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Night Crew and how that happened. Um, was that something that sort of just organically formed with your team or what was the history of that and how far away was the success of night crew from your success with, with this pilot? Um, Oh, Oh, interesting series of questions. Uh, (laughs) sorry. A lot. No, no, no. I love it. Um, so me and Katie and Adrian had been working together, uh, as guile sketch comedy for, um, a while we had gotten together and we wrote a few one-off sketches and then after putting a few sketches online, we're like, can we do anything longer form? Um, and so we sat down and uh, I think what helps that team as a whole is that all of us have some sort of production background. Like we all know how to edit and shoot and light and run sound and all that, um, which mm-hmm. is a skill set that I recommend for every actor. Like learn how to 
make stuff on your own so you don't have to like rely on other people. Um, So knowing all that stuff, we sort of already had an understanding of like the scope of a production. I feel like a lot of teams or a lot of comedian, individual comedians even will like sort of go like, okay, I want to do a series uh, not knowing how much actual work has to be put in. And so we had a semblance of like what is required of any given shoot. And so we gave ourselves these limitations of like, okay, our budget is literally $0. So what do we have to work with? And we gave ourselves like a list of like, sorry, um, here's locations that we can use. Um, here's props that we have. And we wrote around that stuff. So we, we gave ourselves, <laughs> like, okay, this is how much time we can shoot in this location. Um, these are like themes we could do. And then we, we wrote this series called Night Crew. And we're like, great, we can shoot this in one weekend at Katie's office. Uh, this is how many cameras we'll need, you know, yada, yada, all that stuff. And we did it all pretty much by, I mean, we called in some people to help us, uh, but we were producing the whole thing ourselves. Um, Katie got fired as a result of that because she was not supposed mm. to shoot there. Uh, no. that's what she um, but it's one of my favorite stories. Um, what? Was she bummed or was she like, ah, fuck it? Oh, no, she was fully in fucking mode. She hated Okay, it. great. Oh, um, great, good. Uh, but yeah, so we shot the whole thing in a weekend. Um, and then we didn't, I, we went into it just doing it because we wanted to do it. Cause it was an idea that we believed in. We were, we never knew where we wanted to show it, uh, or if anyone wanted to buy it or anything, we just wanted to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made it and then we had the episodes and then, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with releasing things yourself on social media, but I feel like it's a relatively low impact way of distributing something. Um, mm-hmm. So we decided to go the route of festivals. And so we submitted to New York TV Fest. Uh, we got in and that was really cool because we were, that got us a lot of meetings. So we met a lot of people from a lot of different networks. And even if they weren't interested in Night Crew, it was just like a strong enough product that they were like, well, we just wanted to get to know you. And if you ever have any ideas, here's our card. You can pitch us an idea. And so for a while we were just like pitching random ideas to random networks because we had those doors open, which is really nice. That's um, awesome. But at the end of New York TV Fest, Comedy Central uh, gave us a development deal. Uh, and then that started a really long paperwork process of basically getting Night Crew onto uh, Comedy Central's like website and their YouTube page and all that. Um, but yeah, that's sort of how it all got to where it was. That is so, so cool. Did you feel like super pumped and excited? Was that like one of the first like made it moments or... Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for us as a group, it was definitely a validation that like, oh, our, oh, like, we're not bad. You know what I mean? I think that's sort of like, <laughs> as a comedian, just like, am I even funny? And like getting external validation is just like, beyond your friends telling you it's funny. It's just like, oh no, we took it to a festival and it won. So it's clearly objectively funny. You know what I mean? For sure, um, for sure. Um, I, yeah. That is, that is so, so awesome. Um, in terms of your general, like, work style, do you find yourself being someone who's, like, eager to, like, keep going, like, keep writing? Do you feel like you're pretty invested in a project, or is it kind of, like, even if it's something you love, you're like, ugh, okay, or do you, you know, what's, like, your work style generally? Oh, I'm definitely a, uh, I'm a shark. If I stop swimming, I'll die. Um, <laughs> okay. It's, uh, I feel like it's... <laughs> unknowingly, I feel like a lot of New Yorkers don't know this about themselves, but I feel like it is a very New York attitude to just always be doing something. Because yep. like when I moved to LA, I kind of discovered there's a shit ton of people in LA who are doing nothing. And it's it was shocking to me to meet so many actors who, uh, you know, like they're, they're just like beautiful people who moved here from, you know, Iowa or wherever they're from. And they say they're an actor, but they're just chilling near a pool every day. And it's like... <laughs> That's fine what? if you want to do that, but, like, that's not, that's not acting. You know what I mean? Like, you're not right. being an actor. Um, and so right. I very much take that attitude of just, like, I, I always need to be working on something, which is why, like, right now during quarantine, we obviously can't shoot anything for the show, uh, but I've been, like, writing a lot, and hopefully my managers can, like, start getting me into pitch meetings where I can sell some scripts, because if I'm not if I'm working on nothing that I feel like an absolute waste of space, like that's nice. when I get to my depressed place is, is when I, when I'm doing nothing. Sure. 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 That is so interesting. You, cause it's like you have this huge accomplishment and even still you're, I think that just speaks to how like you really just love doing the thing. 
and you're like, if I'm not doing the thing, I want to be doing it. You know, even if you have this like amazing, like gig, right. With Tina Fey, Robert Carlock, like all these amazing people, you're still like, "Mm, I want to keep doing comedy and still keep my brain occupied with interesting creative stuff. You know, it's not about the success. It's about like, you know, the process which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who are maybe missing that part of it where it's just like, you really do, like you said, you, you have to love it. You have to do it because you love it. Like, I feel like, um, I mentioned this in that, in that workshop that we we were in earlier this week, but I I feel like a lot of people, a lot of actors in particular are like, all right, well, I'll give it till I'm 30. If I don't make it till I'm 30, then I'm out. And it's like, that works for some people. It worked for John Hamm, but like it, for me, that's not how I want to live my life. Like I'm doing this I'd be doing this either way. It's I've, there are other actors you know, like Brian Cranston has said that where he's like, I would be doing this for free. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I mean, which we do literally for so yes. long. For yeah. so, I mean, yeah. As you know. Yeah. Um, so we have to love it because it's literally all pretty much unpaid stuff until it is. Um, yeah. um, so I want to, I know we're like getting towards the end of, of the pod, um, but I want to talk a little bit about, your your new gig um and i know you mentioned in the workshop a little bit about the audition process and all that stuff um but if you don't mind sharing here that would be great too in terms of like how that came about um and what was the audition process like uh sure so i um it it was one of my first auditions with my current agent but i I had just started working with my agent at caa and he had gotten me a lot of generals, uh, which uh, w- like in my head was like the most I could look forward to. Cause I, mm-hmm. uh, so backing up, I've only lived in LA for like a year and a half, which um, sounds like I'm bragging and I kind of am, but it's, it's, it's this thing where I'm actively grateful that like I could book a job like this within less than a year of living here. Cause that, Hell fucking like, yeah. it's, it's not how it's supposed to work. You know what I mean? Like, okay. It, yeah. It, it feels like winning the lottery. <laughs> And can you, can you speak quickly just briefly about um, the difference between New York and LA and like, was the transition easy for you? Cause you landed a gig right away or were you just like, where am I? Well, I guess you're from Las Vegas. So it's like, yeah. you're used to West coast. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I tell people that a lot. I think that um, when we talk about moving from New York to LA, I think that a, a big part of it is your perspective on moving period. I feel like a lot of people are from the East coast. So on top of like, the career move, they're also sort of doing this life move. Um, and it, it's it's a lot to handle all at once. Whereas like, I grew up in Vegas, went to school in Chicago, lived in New York for seven years, and then I moved to LA. Like, I had been used to uprooting my whole life. Like, so that part was not really a hurdle for me. It was sort of just the career stuff that I had to worry about. Um, and so I think that like, if you're, if you grew up in New York or on the East Coast, and you're thinking of moving to LA, like, there's so many other resources that could speak better to like the moving process itself than I could. Um, but once you get past that, just like career wise, um, my expectation was like, I'm going to move to LA. And if I get anything, any auditions, if I can meet anyone within the first like three years, I'm super lucky. Cause like I, I know I have credits under my belt and so I'm not starting at square one but none of these casting directors in LA know me on a personal level. So just getting in their office is going to be a hurdle. Sure. Uh, and so I, I just sort of knew like, I'm gonna have to eat shit for a little while and that's okay. I'll just work on my shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so when I had just started working with my agent at CAA, he got me a bunch of generals, uh, which is helpful. That's the stuff where I'm like, cool. Now I can meet all the network people, all the casting directors and just get them to like understand who I am. Sure. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like one of the first auditions he sent me on was for this show. And, um, and then I, and then I booked it. And so now my team loves me. <laughs> <laughs> so now I am the shit. Um, very, very cool. Were you like nervous at all or? Um, sort of. I mean, I, I was nervous insofar as like it, uh, obviously this caliber of project, it's, it, it was straight to series uh, before I signed on, you know, so it wasn't, it didn't have to go through the pilot process. It was like, if we hire you, you're hired oh permanently. My oh um, my God. And then, and then, you know, there's, there's also the, the, the scariness of like, oh, it's Tina Fey, Robert Carlock, Ted Danza. It's like legends. You know what I mean? Yes. So in that sense, it's really scary, but um, I'm a big believer in just like 
worrying about the things that are within your control and not worrying about the things that are outside of your control. Um, just as like a general life skill. And so what I knew going into this audition was like, uh, I, at the time that my agent told me I had the audition, I knew that they had been casting it for a while because I had other friends who read for the same role or other roles on the show like months before I did. So I was like, oh, if they're still casting now, then they don't know what they want. And if they don't know what they want, then there's nothing for me to aim for. Like there's no target for me to hit. All I can do is just walk in there and be me and hope that that's what they want. Um, mm -hmm. And so going into that first audition, it was just like, okay, I'm just going to do my thing and it, it might be scary, but whatever. It's just, I'm going to do the best I can do. And that's all I can do. Um, Ooh, God. Yeah. And then, it's and then, and then I got into the network tests and then, uh, and then I was like, Oh shit. Now I have to actually, you know, be good. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, here we go. Well, yeah. do you in general, I mean, obviously that mindset worked for you cause you booked it, but do you think that, the ability for you to be like, all right, just go in there and be yourself, Mike, is like due to the fact that you had auditioned so much before. So you felt like you were at least a little bit familiar with like what it's like to be in a room with a camera and like people sitting behind it, and like asking you to slate and do all that stuff. You know what I mean? Or oh, was it just, definitely. yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think that um, you should never, as an actor, never underestimate the fact that auditioning is its own skill. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to get really good at that skill. And the only way to get good at it is to just do it a bunch. So like, um, I think another like healthy outlook for all actors is just like, just know you're going to book maybe if you're lucky 1% of the auditions you go on, like you have Great. to go on so many auditions that you, that you get so good at it that you're just like, okay with hearing no or hearing nothing at all. Most of the time mm -hmm. you won't even get a no. You'll just hear nothing. And you're like, well, I guess I didn't book it. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's definitely its own skill. And I had just gone on so many auditions and gotten so good at hearing no, that I was like, okay, I mean, if this doesn't hit, then what? It's not like this is like my one big audition. You know what I mean? I can I can do my best. And if it's a no, then that's okay. I'll move on to the next one. And, and, and that's a lot easier said than done. But yeah, you just you really have to learn how to just shake it off. Wow. And when you were in the network callback, that's when Tina Fey was there and Robert Carlock, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was all the yeah. producers in one room. Uh, and then they had Ted was cast at the time and Bobby was cast at the time. So they were both in the room and I got to play with them. Wow. Terrifying. But oh, um, yeah. How did you, was, was the first time you met these people in the room? Yes, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> so well, So how did you like get over being totally shocked to meet these people and like still crush the audition? Uh, so the network testing process is weird because, um, the, in your, in your little waiting room, it's, there's like, I mean, it depends, it depends on the show, but you know, anywhere from like two to five other people who are also auditioning for your same role. Um, mm -hmm. and during my network test, they were casting three roles at the same time. So you multiply that by three roles and it was just a room of like 20 ish people who were wow. all very high energy, but who all also wanted to make a good impression. So everyone's being very polite and everyone is on and everyone's being very funny. And it's sort of just like, there's a weird camaraderie in that room. Cause it's like, we we're all trying to do the same thing here and we're all hoping it's us. And there's no real ill will or malice. It's not like, I hope you don't get it. I mean, I would hope there's no ill will in that room. For the most sure, part, sure. It's, like, it's this unique psychological blender where people are just like, like really hyped up on adrenaline and really polite and they're all really funny. And so it's, it's almost like being at a party. Like there's this little party waiting room where you can just like <laughs> jokes with these strangers and introduce yourself and just be nice. And then you walk in the next room and then you just do your scene and then you come back and then they hold you for a little while. And then all you in with a different person, you do the scene again with a different person. Um, so it's, it's, it's a weird thing to describe. And that's definitely like network testing is like, I would guess probably also its own skill and much, much harder practice because hopefully you don't have too many network tests. Hopefully you have one and then you book it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, like you uh, did. Yeah, and I mean, some people do, do you know, do like a, a couple network tests per season and that's, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just mean like, it's a much harder skill to work on than auditioning because you can audition for anything, but getting a network test like is dependent on you being really good at auditioning. So, God, um, it's so it's just so important. It's so important to 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 feel comfortable in your own skin in those moments because like it can get 
I just remember the only, the closest story I have to what you're talking about is having a commercial callback with Key and Michael Key. And I remember they were like, he's in there. Okay, he's in the room. So everyone, and they like they actually weren't helping us at all. Like the casting director would come out and be like, he's still in there. So, mm -hmm. and we're like, we got it the first time. Mm -hmm. And then I, as soon as I went into the room, I was like fully lost my shit. I was like, oh my God, he's here. I can't do it. And like the director kept being like, you need to smile and like say your line. Cause we're, this is the audition. And I was like, oh my God, like I lost it. So I just wonder like that times. Yeah. 20 having like all of your idols in a room what that feels like and yeah it sounds like you're just like kept your cool and like did your thing yeah yeah i mean it's uh this is i think probably general life advice you, you don't need to get starstruck they're just people you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah especially um, if you're trying to be a, a working actor just you know just treat everyone like they're a human being for sure um cool okay so we're we're definitely towards the end i do have um maybe one or two more questions for you one being um how do you get through uh days that are a little bit, bit harder right so it's like it does feel good when you know we're doing the work and we're going out on auditions or booking stuff it feels great um if there's how do you sort of handle moments that are a little you know like the, the bad days um, that's a good question, and I don't have an answer for it. It's it's, sure. um, it's weird. I mean, I think it's it's highly personal. You know, um, it's 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 sort of <laughs> uh, like at the root of this question, it's really just like an actor flavored version of like, how do you not be sad? Um, <laughs> that's such a difficult question to answer because it's different for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you're big on yoga, then go do some yoga. You know, uh, there I don't think there's a magic bullet answer. You know what I mean? I think it's just like, do whatever you need to do to cope. Um, and I think that right now during quarantine, a lot of people are learning about what their own personal coping mechanisms are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this weird thing where it's just like, do whatever you need to do to get into the mindset to tell yourself that it's okay. Um, right. And, and for me, it's, it's a very like Spartan kind of thing, but it was just reminding myself that it's like, this is the life that I chose. And I like, it, on days where I felt really bad, like I haven't booked anything, I'm really broke, I don't have any money, I would always think the alternative is working at an ad agency right now. And I wouldn't rather be doing that. I wouldn't rather be doing anything else in the world than being poor and hustling like I am right now. So it's just like kind of taking solace in like, the, these are the days I'm going to look back on and be like, yeah, I remember being really poor and not knowing where my next meal was going to come from. And like, doesn't mean you have to love it, but you can embrace it for what it is. Hell yeah, Mike. Hell yeah. Slow clap coming at you. Then it gets faster. Um, oh my God. That I mean, that's a, I feel like that feels like a very beautiful way to end the podcast. Do you? Oh, wow. I, I mean, you know, I thought there was a second. Uh, you said you had two final <laughs> questions, but I don't know. I did. Well, I was going to say advice for people who are, who are starting um, day jobs. I do feel like part of that was sprinkled throughout, but if you want, um, if you want to share, I'd love to hear it. If you have any advice for people who are like just starting out and are like, I literally don't know how to pursue this like career that feels so ephemeral and whatever, you know what I mean? Um, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, you know, uh, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who are in tremendously different situations. And, you know, like if you have a kid, you know, that, that automatically makes things so, so much different than my situation that like, I don't, I don't know how to give you advice, but for me, it was like, I was a, a young 20 something like educated person. And I think for me, the right thing was just to, uh, I, I'll, I'll echo Dave Ebert's advice, which is just like, don't be afraid to quit your job. There will always be another job. And it's really scary. And again, this is coming from a place of like, I, when I was a kid, like there was a short period of time where we were on food stamps. Like I don't come from a rich family, but like my mom is just always in the back of my head where it's just like, it's, it's just money. You're not going to starve to death. So um, I think find a day job that is uh, going to allow you to like a day job that you don't have to take home with you. Like if you come home and you're still worrying about work, that's probably not good for your creative space because now there's no real brain power to go around. There's no bandwidth for you to like be creative. Mm -hmm. um, so things, you know, like customer service or waiting tables are great for that because you can just clock out and you can be done. Um, but find an environment that's supportive for you. For me, that was startups, but like find a boss who's like understanding that like this is not what you want to do and stay focused on what you do want to do. 
um, and don't compromise in that. If someone offers you an audition, even if you're like, I, I'm not going to book this, it's, it's an opportunity to make an impression on that casting director. So just like, don't say no to anything, say yes to everything. Um, and uh, I believe in you. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Inspiring last words from Mike Avalon. Holy <laughs> moly. Mike, thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to do this podcast. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you had a good time. I had the best time. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Thank you. Mike Cavalon, everybody. What a treat. What a treat. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Cavalon. He's on Instagram, Mike Cavalon. He also has a website, www.mikecavalon.com. You can see a pattern here. Very good at the branding. And um, support, support. Watch his stuff. Watch his new show when it comes out. That's so exciting um and really inspiring words from him hopefully that was helpful for all of you you can also follow this podcast how do you hustle with cami dimitrova it's on apple spotify and all the other things that make noise um every monday there's going to be a new episode and uh yeah hope you have a great week and uh see you soon bye